0: Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. I haven't said it before uh, to you yet, but Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. We are jumping in, and I know we're, we're a little bit in, but um, uh, anybody ever make, uh, or does anybody make New Year's resolutions? Nobody's, it was like, what's the point? <laughs> New Year's resolutions, for those of you, of, of you who do it, are, um, they're small, attainable goals for the year that you set before yourself, right? If you are someone who makes New Year's resolutions, I wanna go through a few here um, for you to add, maybe add to your list. Uh, and uh, if you don't make New Year's resolutions, these might be ones um, that you want to do. Again, these are small attainable goals for this new year. The first one is this. Make vanilla pudding, put it in a mayo jar, and eat it in public. (laughs) No, do it. No, for real. Here's the next one. Small attainable goals. Hire two private investigators and get them to follow each other. (laughs) Where... Wear a shirt that says life and hand out lemons on a street corner. Uh, Oh, I like this one. Get into a crowded elevator and say, hey, uh, or and say, I bet you're wondering why I gathered you all here today. (laughs) Major in philosophy. Ask people why they would like fries with that. Uh, Run into a store. Ask what year it is. When someone answered, yell, it worked, and run out cheering. You guys can laugh at these. These are actually, you know, this. it's even funnier if you actually picture yourself doing them, right? So, this, you know, don't be a hearer of the word only. Never mind. All right, next one. Change your name to Simon and speak in the third person. Pretty self explanatory. This one's great. This one was my wife's favorite. Buy a parrot, teach the parrot to say, Help, I've been turned into a parrot. <laughs> and finally, this is great. I'm actually going to do this one. Follow joggers around in your car blasting Eye of the Tiger for encouragement. <laughs> I, I really actually want to do that one. <laughs> Go around and find fuel there jogging. I just think that's interesting. Okay, okay. small, attainable goals. For this year, that you can incorporate into uh, into your life, uh, real quick, I wanted to uh, just kind of give you some thoughts on fasting. Um, fasting, I think, is it's one of I think the more controversial uh, spiritual disciplines, right? Um, because when you say fasting, there's all kinds of emotion and weirdness and and all kinds of stuff that that comes with it, right? Um, but but. I want to just throw a couple thoughts into your hopper and then invite you into something here today. Oh, you put that up already. That's OK. I'll get to that. Don't look at that. Maybe go back to the other slide so that you listen to what I'm saying. The t- thank you. Thank you, that one. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, a couple of thoughts for you here. Fasting um, is not something that's supposed to be this daunting, massive spiritual discipline. OK? Fasting is something that not only uh, did Jesus instruct us to do, but he actually modeled it, right? Jesus, when he was baptized and he stepped into his ministry, the first thing he did is went into 40 days of prayer and fasting, right? And during that time, the devil tempted him. And if you've ever fasted, and if you are fasting right now, you recognize the same thing. Every time I drive by Chick-fil-A, there is a temptation of the devil, Get behind me, Satan. Leave the the chicken burger, but get behind me, Satan. Right? There's a temptation that came. Jesus modeled this. It was the first thing that he did. He also instructed it, and he instructed it in this way. I find this really interesting. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Jesus said this. He lists three things in here that are really important for a spiritual life. Giving, praying, and fasting. But the way he talks about it is really interesting. He says when you give, when you pray, and when you fast, meaning these are implied things that we do as part of a spiritual life where we follow him, okay? It's not an if, and, or but, you know, whatever. It's something that he instructs us to do. Now, here's the really cool thing about fasting, and this isn't, this isn't my message for today, but I want us to just hopefully... Um, process fasting from a biblical perspective where we understand it's not just denying everything, even though it is, but the denying is for the purpose of something else, okay? Uh, Jensen Franklin wrote some really cool books on fasting, and, uh, and they're really easy reads. They're really small books, and they give a lot of really good thoughts and uh, context around uh, fasting, and he says this in, the, in, in his first book, and you can put this up now, Amanda, because this is, the, thank you so much. Fasting is not merely going without food for a period of time. That's dieting, maybe even starving. But fasting, it is not. Now get this, nor is fasting something done only by fanatics. I really want to drive this point home, that fasting is not to be done only by religious monks alone in a cave somewhere. The practice of fasting is not limited to ministers or to special occasions. Stated simply, biblical fasting is refraining from food. Or I would actually say this too, because there's other contexts for fasting, right? It's, it's things in our life that take up a lot of time and distract us and remove the quality time that we would spend with the Lord but it's refraining from those things for a spiritual purpose. Fasting has always been a normal part of the relationship with God as expressed by the impassioned plea of David in Psalm 42. Fasting brings one into a deeper, more intimate and powerful relationship with the Lord. I'm gonna read that again because this is the crux of fasting. Fasting brings one into a deeper, more intimate and powerful relationship with the Lord. For us to really think about fasting from this perspective, Fasting is not as much about what you're not doing as what you are doing. I just want you to walk away with this concept today, right? Fasting is the denying of things, but what are we doing instead? We're feasting. We're we're, we're coming close to a deeper and more intimate relationship with Christ. This This is why Jesus instructs us to fast. He's not saying, no, I just want you to not have food. No, he's saying, I want to be the food. I want to be your source. I want to be the one that sustains you. And so when we come to a fasting season, I think it's a really good invitation and challenge for us to view it as an invitation and a calling and a beckoning of the Father to say, listen, I desire relationship with you and for us to respond to the calling of the Father through this time. That's what this time is all about. These 21 days are a day marked with pursuit. Are we going to pursue the Lord, fixing our attention, fixing our thoughts, fixing all of it on him? Is it about what you fast or how much you fast or, or what that looks like? Not at all. It's about the pursuit of the Lord, right? So just to throw these into your hopper for these next days, and even as you're processing it, maybe maybe this last week was, was really, really bad, or or you started strong and then it didn't end strong, or, or you're still trying to figure out what to do, my invitation to you is step into it in some way. Maybe you do a three-day thing where you do one meal a day for three days, you know, whatever it is. Maybe if you watch Netflix for two hours at night, maybe you don't do that, and instead read your Bible, pray, spend time with the Lord. Just an idea, right? So whatever it is, just to have some of those things to walk away with. And my challenge to you would be to look at your week and see What are the things that can shift in order for me to pursue God more? Okay? Let that be your motivation as you step into the second week of fasting. Okay? Does that sound good? Okay. All right. So that's fasting. Now, this last week and even this series, we're calling it Abide. And we're taking it all from John 15, which, again, we spent this last week in John 15 And abide really is is the theme of these 21 days together. The theme of this prayer and fasting time is all around abiding and learning what it means to actually just sit at the feet of Jesus and remain and be connected to him. But not only is it just a theme for 21 days, it's actually a theme that we are going to be looking at and in as a church for this next year, is learning what it means to actually just abide and be connected to Christ. The, th- the reason for that is because if you've lived any length of time in our world, you recognize that everything goes against that. You have to do. You have to perform. You have to be. You have to follow all the stuff. You have to not do. It's just there's a lot, right? And for us to actually come to the point where a lot of the worldly perspective to the way that we live life we then take and we layer that over our relationship with Christ and say, now my relationship with Christ has to be the same thing. I do these things. I am this way. I make sure that I don't do these things. And if I do that, I have a relationship with him, right? But it's actually the opposite of the worldly perspective. It's a totally different mindset that Christ wants us to have. And so this is a perspective, and this is a focus that we're going to take this year. What does it mean for us to actually shift the way that we think, to shift the way that we live, to actually that, that the fact that everything would actually stem from abiding and being in Christ? Right? Because, spoiler alert, apart from him, you can do nothing. Right? So it's learning what this means for us. So this is what we're going to be doing and taking a look at here um, over this, this week and next week, and as we're, we're focusing on the fast. Now, even though the, we have different prayer points for each of the days moving forward for the rest, I would still encourage you to make John 15 part of that. Spend every day in John 15, reading through it and processing through, and letting the Holy Spirit just speak to you and continue to till that up in your heart and see what more. God wants to be able to speak to you through that, okay? So don't throw one out for the other. No, we want to stick in this place. I'm going to give you a little bit of background context here for this passage that hopefully is going to illuminate it in a little bit of a different way for you. I'm going to give you some history. I'm going to give you some thoughts. And, uh, and then hopefully just kind of wrap John 15 um, with a fresh perspective here this morning. Um, John 15 was written right at the end of the Last Supper. The Last Supper was done. Judas had already left. He was going to go do his his thing. And they got up from the Last Supper, and they now were on their way to Gethsemane. And as they were walking, they had to go through the city in order to get to, the theologians and historians believe that they had to go through the city in order to get from the room that they were in to Gethsemane. And as they went, many believed that the path that they took would have actually led them past or through the temple. Now, the gates of the temple at that time of year would have been open because it was Passover. And so uh, they were able to, you know, people could come and go as they wanted, and it was left over so people could come and pray. Many believe that Jesus walked by the temple or through the temple, and as they did, they would pass by these ornate and beautiful. And we have a picture of this. They would pass by the temple. At the entrance to the temple were these columns. And what was ornate about them is these columns were covered with gold vines and gold grapes that covered the columns and the entrance to the temple. And the reason that those were there is it called back to the spies who brought the grapes back from the promised land. And it reminded them every time the Israelites looked at this, they remembered the faithfulness of the Lord and the fulfilled promises of the Lord. This was something that was was so powerful. And so as they're walking past this and in close proximity, and as they they do this, Jesus looks up and he makes this mind-shifting, paradigm-shifting statement. He says, hey, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, this would have been, we read it, and we're like, yeah, cool, that's great. But I want to give you some context of why this was so intriguing for the disciples. So you have to understand something. For the disciples and for the Israelites, The narrative and the metaphor of the vine was the oldest and the most well and most commonly used metaphor that God used in in, in interacting with the Israelites. It dates all the way back to creation. Be fruitful and multiply. Forwarding to Genesis 17, when God speaks to Abraham and he takes him out and he says, Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky. Go and be fruitful. At the end of Jacob's life in Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his sons, and when he gets to Joseph, the blessing over Joseph is that Joseph's family line would be a fruitful vine planted by a stream whose vines go out over the wall. In Psalm 80, the psalmist talks in there about the fact that God came and uprooted the vine and transplanted it, and when he transplanted it, sprouts shot out everywhere. And then finally, in Isaiah 27, we see that there's a song there about the Lord's vineyard. This metaphor, this narrative, they were very, very, very familiar with. But but here is what is fascinating about what Jesus said that messed up their mind. And I think this is what God wants us to get into this place too. You see, everything prior to Jesus, every part of the narrative spoke to Israel as the fruitful vine. Israel is a fruitful vine. Israel is to have this and and all of these things speaking. Now Jesus says, hey, I'm the vine. And they're going, well, wait a sec. I understand grapes. I understand vineyards. I understand this narrative. But, But wait a second. You're the vine? You're the vine. Jesus inserts himself into this narrative for a couple of really specific reasons i will give them to you. The first one is this, that in saying that he is the true vine, what he's doing is he is positioning himself between the gardener and the branches as the mediator. You see, prior to this, they understood that they had to follow the Mosaic law, and they had to live a certain way, and they had to act a certain way, and they had to do certain things. And when they didn't, we see this all throughout history, we, and when they didn't, we see that they they rept, re, that's not a word. They reaped, they reaped God's divine judgment directly towards them because they didn't live according to the way that they were supposed to. Jesus inserts himself though and says, Listen, listen, I'm the vine. Which means when the gardener looks at his vineyard, he looks at the vine, his son, the perfect sacrifice that paid the penalty for every one of our sins. And he looks, and when he looks, then everything that is connected to the vine is good. And everything connected to the vine is taken care of. You have to understand for the disciples, this is like, what? what wait, 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 what are you saying here? Jesus is telling them, I'm the one who's going to hang on a cross and I am going to take all of the judgment and the punishment that you should be getting. So therefore, it's really important that we stay connected to the vine. Fast forward to us today, the same thing is true. When God looks at your life and my life, hopefully, if we are connected to him, God looks through his son to our lives. And when he looks through his son, he says, Jason is saved, he's cleansed, he's forgiven, all of his sins are taken away, he's saved, he's perfect because of Jesus. And here's what happens. If we choose not to remain in the vine, we go like this, and suddenly All that divine judgment that was placed on Jesus now gets put on us. And you're right back to trying to earn your way to heaven, which we know is impossible. So you have to believe that the disciples are going, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. All we have to do is just remain in you remain connected to to you? Now, this sounds really simple, but it's really hard. I think every one of us has times and seasons in our life where we would look and we would go, yeah, I stepped away to the vine, from the vine, and I'm just trying to do everything. I got, like, the Ten Commandments plastered on my eyelids. I'm trying to, like, live them all out. We try to do it on our own. The invitation and the beautiful thing about this passage is Jesus says, listen, everything starts by the fact that I have positioned myself between you and my Father, and now in me you are complete and whole and forgiven. Guys, this is a really freeing thing. To understand that God no longer looks at us and casts the judgment and the punishment on us that we deserve, but He looks through His Son. Romans 8 talks about this. In Romans 8, it says that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father and He makes constant intercession for us. Do you know what that means? It means the father is watching and he's observing everything in life. And Jesus is constantly reminding him, listen, listen, I know that I know Jason has messed up thoughts. I know that he wasn't nice to his wife. I know he wasn't nice to his kids. I realize that he's got this sin in his life. But remember what I did for him? And God goes, yes, I I do. I do. This is the powerful part of John 15, and this is what was messing with their world in this this day and age. Now, this was an especially important message to the Jews because if they wished to enjoy the status of being part of God's chosen vine, they had to rightly relate to Jesus. They couldn't walk around with the claim to fame of being the chosen vine and, and all this kind of stuff if they weren't willing to actually connect to the real vine. And the invitation is true to us today. So the first thing, Jesus inserts himself as our mediator. How many of you are thankful that when God looks at you, he looks through his son? I'm telling you right now, there's not a day that goes by, and even as I'm in John 15, over and over, I go, wow, thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice and the fact that that is the standing that we have in him, right? The second thing that Jesus does in this metaphor is he inserts himself into this metaphor to show that true fruitfulness is only possible when connected to Jesus. True fruitfulness is only possible when connected to Jesus, okay? Now, but what, what is fruit? What is fruit? I want to offer you something today that, that hopefully will help you shape, shape in kind of the thought process, because in the world we live in today, there's two ideas of fruitfulness, Okay fruitfulness if you look at from a worldly perspective has everything to do unless you're one of these geniuses who stumbled on nfts and are making millions of dollars sitting in your mom's basement uh you work hard for it okay this is (laughs) tim's not sitting in his mom's basement but he is making money off nfts so he's the exception to the rule (laughs) you work hard for it. Fruitfulness, when you look at fruitfulness, equates to somebody working hard to get the car, working hard to get the job, working hard to get the house, working hard to have all of these finances. It's all based off of what you do. Fruitfulness, you look at anybody's life like, wow, they have a fruitful life. Why? Because they have all the stuff that they've worked for. Here's where it flips upside down with the kingdom, though. Fruitfulness in the kingdom is not based off of what you do. It's based off of who you're connected to in relationship. Because it is only through relationship with Jesus that true fruitfulness can come out of your life. And here's why I say this. Because if in the kingdom of God, if you're in the kingdom of God, fruitfulness is this. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of being connected. Not the mansion not the millions of dollars in the bank. It's those things coming out of your life, okay? Now, here's the kicker. All of those things, those fruits of the Spirit, are not things that you can work hard to do. You cannot work hard to be more loving. You can learn how to be more loving. You can't just power through to to be more joyful. I'm just going to tell myself to be more joyful. I'm going to listen to happy music. It's going to be great. You can't do that. The fruit of joy in your life is only because you're connected to the vine. And it produces. Fruit is a natural byproduct. My grandpa, we had a vineyard growing up, and my grandpa would be out there constantly. I never saw my grandpa out there going, making an apple on, on, on the tree, right? I, ne- I never saw him out there. No. I saw him tending the tree and connecting to it, but the, tree, but, 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 the, but the apple only grew as a natural byproduct of a healthy tree. Fruit in our life is only a natural byproduct. You don't make any of these things happen, okay? They come as a natural byproduct. This is the shift for us because instead of saying, well, I just, doggone it, I need to just be more gentle. Well, no, no. We need to be more connected with Christ and let him work out gentleness in our life. Okay, this is the shift. This is the shift. This is everything that Jesus is saying in this place. When he's saying, I'm the true vine, remain in me. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. You got to stop doing, be connected to me and let me do it in you. Okay, this is a big shift for us. And, and, and here's the reality. We can agree and we can sit in this room and say, yes, I agree with that. That is awesome. And this week, everything is going to challenge that and get us to slip back to the other way. You leave this room today, and on your way home, there'll be the, t- the, the tendency to slip back into it, okay? But Jesus has an invitation for us today, and this is where I'm going to land here in just a little bit, that he has an invitation for us to view things from a completely different perspective, and it's a beautiful invitation that he has for us, okay? Um, so all of those things, we can't, we can't make them happen. Now, there's another layer that I want to throw out here. And this is is just something for you to consider and to think about, okay? True fruitfulness in your life looks like the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life, okay? And it's only something that the Spirit can do. You can't power through. You can't make it happen on your own, right? The other layer to this is that if there is true fruit of the Spirit that is evident in your life, that people will be drawn to you, and ultimately drawn to Christ because of the fruit of your life. When we get to heaven, everybody in heaven is there because of one reason. Jesus died for them, and they gave their life to Christ. They believed in their heart and declared with their mouth, right? We believe this, right? This is the theology. Anybody can test that? Okay, all right. We're all on the same page, good. But make no mistake that when you are in heaven, There will be people there that are there because of the influence of your life that led them to Christ. Spiritual fruit are lives that are pulled closer to Christ and brought closer into an invitation with him because of the life that you live. Okay? My first job was at a pawn shop. I've talked about this before. It was an incredible job. I loved it. Um, But it was interesting being the only Christian there because I had so many conversations with people about why I would or wouldn't do certain things. And it was a great opportunity to actually give a reason for why, right? Because I, I had different fruit that was coming out of my life, right? One of my managers there was a Buddhist. We had some of the most incredible conversations because he would ask, okay, I see these things that are evident in your life. I see that you're, you're loving. I see that you're kind and but it wasn't some mystic thing that came from me finding some sort of higher revelation or or whatever. It became, it was because of who I was connected with, and we had some incredible conversations. And at the end of my time working there, he shared with me that he had he had his mind had been open to understanding that his way of thinking might not be the way the way that there is to think. Because he realized that in me, and I'm not saying this to toot my horn, but I am saying this that this this is really important that when you're connected to the vine, there will be fruit. And that fruit will draw people. So our goal as believers, y'all, is we want to bear fruit, good fruit. And not by just saying, I'm going to bear fruit. No, it's by being connected to him and letting him produce the fruit in us. Okay? So this is, this is the shift that we have of this. All right, so fruitfulness. The third thing, the third reason, you guys doing okay? The third thing here is Jesus inserts himself into the metaphor With a call to relationship. A call to relationship. This is is the picture I want you to walk away with today, and I want you to get this. The creator of the universe, the one who holds all of the universe in the palm of his hand, desires and designed us to be in a personal relationship with him. A, A A personal relationship with him. This just blows my mind. Of anybody or anything in the entire expanse of the universe, discovered, not discovered, the creator of all of it, who holds it all in his hand, says, Hey, by the way, um, come to me because I want a relationship with you. That's really, really humbling. And that's really incredible. And when we get a hold of the fact that this God who created everything and loves us and also <laughs> gave his son so that we didn't have to suffer the punishment, but we could come and live with him and live in this relationship with him, he beckons us and he calls us. The calling of this moment in Jesus and even saying this moment, he's saying, I'm the true vine. Why? Because I want you guys to connect with me. I want you to come into a relationship with me. I want you to understand that all of this is built, all of this has all been made so that you can have a relationship with me. These 17 verses all center around a very, very important little word in verses six and seven, which are up here. The word is if, if, okay? Verse six says this, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. Notice, notice, who does the removing? We do. It says, if anyone doesn't remain, that's a choice on our part. If anyone does not remain, they're thrown aside and a branch and it withers and they gather them and they throw them in the fire and they burn. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you, okay? If, if is a word of invitation and challenge. There is an invitation, and my, my hope and my prayer for you is as you leave today, that even as we step into this rest of this prayer and fasting time, that you sense the invitation of the Father that says, come be with me, come be with me. Spurgeon writes this. I love this quote. I'm just going to read It's going to be up on the screen. Just listen to this and let this sink into your heart this morning. The cry of the Christian religion is the gentle word, come. The Jewish law harshly said, go, take heed unto your steps as to the path in which you shall walk. Break the commandments and you will perish. Keep them and you shall live. The law was a dispensation of terror which drove men before it as with a scourge. The gospel draws with bands of love. Jesus is the good shepherd going before his sheep, bidding them to follow him and, even, and, and ever leading them onwards with a sweet word, come. The law repels, the gospel attracts. The law shows the distance which there is between God and man and the gospel bridges the awful chasm and brings the sinner across it. From the first moment of our spiritual life until we are ushered into glory, the language of Christ to you will be, come, come unto me. I love that calling. Hear that over your spirit, and over your heart this morning, that the calling and the Father's words to you this morning in the middle of whatever you're in, maybe you've discounted yourself, maybe you've tried to perform, maybe you tried to strive, maybe you've tried to do all the right things and live this really nice Christian life, but you failed and you fell down and it hasn't worked and you've messed up more times than you got it right, the calling to you this morning is come. Come. Don't let those things keep you from coming to Christ. Come, and to me. But nay, further, this is not only Christ's cry to you, but if you be a believer, this is your cry to Christ. Come, come. You will be longing for his second advent. You will be saying, come quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You will be panting for near and closer communion with him. As his voice to you is come, your response to him will be come Lord and abide with me. Come and occupy alone the throne of my heart. Reign there without rival and consecrate me entirely to your service. David puts it this way in Psalm 27, verse eight. He says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. My heart responds Lord, I'm coming. Lord, I'm coming. This is an invitation to abide in Christ, to be close to him. It's driven by love. It's compelled by love. And I say it's also a place of challenge because Jesus knows that his invitation goes against everything that the world says. He knows that. He knows that when he says, I just want you to simply come and abide and sit at my feet, he knows that you're going to go, excuse me, what? But this is his invitation to us. He draws us in to this place. If we answer the invitation this challenge to abide, we'll encounter levels of relationship with God that we have never had before and a way of living that will free us to be, get this, the children of God. So it's my simple invitation to you today. Now, so so culminating and wrapping it all up, how do we abide? (laughs) I think I get it. I think it's important that we abide. I get it. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, abiding simply is this. It speaks of knowing God, knowing God. And the only way to know God is to spend time with him. If I am going to want to know my wife, the only way I'm gonna know her is by spending time with her. My kids, my friends, anybody. The same is true with God. If we want to know him, we spend time with him. And we choose, we make a willful choice to choose to sit at his feet. And how do we do that? We do that through, very simply, the word. This this part sounds really elementary, (laughs) but this is where it's at. We commune with him in his word. We let his word speak life to us. And then we also connect with him in, and I'm gonna say it this way, two-way prayer. Two-way prayer, which is this. We talk to God and we listen for him to talk to us. And, and I know that one of the hardest things for us to do, because this is, this is true for everybody, right? I know that one of the hardest things for us to do is to actually understand and learn and grow in our ability to sit and listen to what the Holy Spirit would speak. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say? That's the struggle, right? Like how do we just sit and get all the, the stuff out, right? It takes time. I'm not best friends with somebody the first time I talk with them. It comes over time of developing that relationship. The invitation for you today is to abide, and whatever that looks like for for your life as far as an outworking of it, look at your life and see if there are some shifts in the way that you approach the Father that would help you to maybe adjust from more of a performance-driven kind of life to simply sitting. This is a discipline. This is a learned thing. But here's the kicker. This is the final piece. You know, when Jesus left, he he made a promise. He said he was sending someone. The Holy Spirit. The helper. You know who helps us learn to abide? The Holy Spirit. If we ask, the Holy Spirit will help us to learn to settle to push all the stuff, the performing, the doing, the I'm not good enough, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, and to simply become before the Lord to abide and be renewed in his strength, right? So, so literally when we sit down, we say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me right now to center my thoughts, my attention, my focus, my heart, my everything in God. If you read Psalm, this is, this is what I think one of the things that set David up. Uh, when you read the Psalms, so, you know, God obviously said that David was a man after his own heart. You see the cry in David's heart through the Psalms of wanting to just come before the Lord and be connected with him. The Holy Spirit's there to help us to do that. So, very simply, today, the whole point of today, the whole purpose of today, is to offer us an invitation and a challenge. To evaluate our lives and say, where am I at? Where am I at in this whole thing, right? And to make some some subtle shifts in our life to coming more to the side of just remaining in him, knowing that all fruit in our life comes from being connected to him anyway, and taking a shift from maybe some of the way that our world processes and that fills our mind, right? Right? This is the invitation, and the Holy Spirit's going to help us to do this. Um, th- this would be my thought. There's not, a, there's not a massive takeaway from this other than as we step into week two of the fast and whatever you happen to be doing, or at least week two of prayer, um, is let this be a focus of your prayer life. Lord, let me abide in you and teach me what it means to actually do that. Right? Because the promise is if we ask, he'll show us. He'll show us. And so my, my encouragement to you would be, don't do anything else except for take that and this week process that into your life. Do you receive that? Yeah. Does he receive that? Does that sound good? Okay, I wanna, I wanna pray over you today and pray that the Holy Spirit helps us to be able to make this shift. And, and I'm, I'm guaranteeing something right now that if we can make this shift in our lives and if we can actually ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, make a couple of shifts and a couple degree shifts over to just a place of abiding in him and not doing, you're going to see change in your life. I guarantee you that when you come back, I sound like a car salesman. That's ridiculous. I guarantee you, though, that when you come next week, you are going to see change in your life as you've shifted over to saying, Holy Spirit, let me just abide. Teach me what it means to abide. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, we thank you so much for the mind-altering, life-altering thing that you spoke in John 15. Um, or the invitation to be connected to you as our mediator, as our savior, as our Lord, as our source for everything. Uh, Father, we, we are so thankful for what you did on the cross. We're so thankful for the price you paid. We're so thankful that we get to live in that freedom. And Father, I pray that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to shift, to learn, to grow. Teach us what it means to abide in you. Teach us what it means to actually remain in you. And Father, I pray where we have put shame and guilt and condemnation because of sin and because of decisions, where we put all of that in the place of pursuing you, Lord, I pray by your Spirit that that would be broken off today. And that, Lord, you would help us to be able to approach you as we truly are, which is your kids who you love and who you paid the price for so that we could enter into relationship with you. And, Father, I pray that you would teach us this week, very simply, how to abide. Lord, help us to be those that are connected to the vine, that the fruitfulness of our life would show, and that those around us who don't know you would be drawn to you because of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just anoint your people this week. God, I pray that this would be a, 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 a week that is marked by your presence growing and our relationship with you growing more than ever before, that we would know you and know the fullness and the power of your spirit inside of us, God. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. And Father, I pray that you would now walk with us this week. This isn't a, a one-time done thing, but God, we recognize that we have a lot that needs to get shifted in our lives. So we pray that you would help us to do that today, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.